Mission possible. We're talking about our uh, mission statement to reach, restore and respond, to reach our neighborhood uh, with the love of the father, to restore lives to healthy relationship in the son and to respond to the move of the spirit. That's our mission statement. And so where we are right now is we're in we're in the book of Matthew and we're in chapter 10. And what's happened is Jesus is sending out the disciples to go. They've watched him all this time. They've watched him heal. They've watched him cast out demons. They've watched him get into a a couple of skirmishes with the Pharisees. And now Jesus looks out over the multitudes. He sees compassion because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he says, look, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are very few. The workers are puny is what the Greek word says. Not that they're tiny, real small, but that there's just hardly any of them. And so he says, pray that to the Lord of the harvest that he'd, he'd that again, the Greek is he'd kick out workers into his harvest field. He'd get them up off their seats and get them out in there to do some work. And so that's where we are right now. This is Jesus is now going through kind of what they should expect and 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 uh, what they're to do. And we've we've talked about kind of how that fits in with reach, restore and respond. And then last week, we really focused in on the on the reach part. And our review from last week was one. He says, be wise as serpents. And we talked about being resourceful, be resourceful. And we talked about the snake and how when it sticks its tongue out, it gathers particles from the air and that tongue goes back in. And then those little forks go sticking up into what they call the Jacobson's organ, which, again, I didn't know any of this stuff until I looked it up on the Internet. And uh, and and it, it inserts those little things in there and the brain can sense different things, temperature, odors, different things like that. And we talked about those two prongs being prayer and the word. And so um, uh, we talked about how we need to be resourceful while we're talking to people, be thinking about what they're saying, understand what's going on in the world around us, be culturally sensitive in the sense that we can relate to people. When you're talking to people, relate with them, be resourceful. But then the second thing we talked about is it's great to relate to people, but we don't want to be of the world. And so there's another part of understanding what's happening, but not being a part of it. And that's to be an example. And uh, he says, be uh, wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. That word means unmixed or pure. So we, we have this understanding of what's going on in the world, but we're not mixed up in it all. Okay. So we're an example. And then the third thing we talked about was being alert. And, uh, uh, sorry, I, my time said I've been talking for 32 minutes already, and that like freaked me out because I got to hurry up. Uh, but uh, talk about being alert about, you know, as we're going through life as a child of God and we're supposed to be both resourceful and innocent, uh, resourceful and an example to be alert. Look out. He says, watch out, be aware. And so we have to be alert. Well, what happens is, well, if I'm alert all the time, I'm start freaking out. I walk in fear. Well, the, the fourth thing was to be calm. To become, he says, don't be anxious. Don't worry about it. Okay, this is all going to work out. And then lastly, we talked about being healthy. And if we go into a city and they reject Christ, it's all fine. Just move on to the next thing. And we talked about that in our lives. Sometimes we get so hung up on getting hurt by somebody or being persecuted or being rejected that we want to see justice done. And the Lord's going, it's time to move on. It's time to be healthy. So we're in Matthew chapter 10. So this is exactly what was happening. The season need, and now the disciples are going, just like just like Tom's being sent out. There's a need in Salina, Kansas, 
And I think we should all, at least I'm praising God that I wasn't called to that because <laughs> I'd be sure that it wasn't the Lord and I would stay in Southern California. So uh, I'm spiritually immature and I, you can all agree with me on that. So here we get into the section of scripture. It's a lot of scripture, so we're going to go through it quickly. So we need to pay attention. The first part is in Matthew 10, 24. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Now, what, what's Jesus talking about here? What he's saying is, listen, guys, your job when you go, is to be like me. I've taught you. We've been, I've, I've given you the Sermon on the Mount. I've been talking to you privately. We've been going over all these different things. I've been, I've been speaking into your life. I've been modeling what it looks like to be uh, uh, someone who follows after God. And I've given you, it says, I've given you power to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. I've, I've given you this stuff. And now here's what I want you to do. I want you to be just like me. The goal, if you look on your uh, outline there, the first one is the goal. And then I, I put a little colon to be like Christ. That's the goal. That's what Christian means. Little Christ. And so as we look at our lives and we think, well, what does the Lord want me to do? A lot of times I talk to people and they want to be in ministry and they, they, they don't know where they should serve. And that's fantastic. We have plenty of places for you to serve if you'd like. Um, But really, our primary goal is to be Christ wherever we are. And what Jesus is saying here is like, look, however they treat me, this is how you can expect to be treated. Sometimes Jesus was treated really well. They have a party for him, good food, you know, fun and blast. Other times he was treated really poorly. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm your teacher, you're the student. Now, the, the little sub-point here is the, the restoration process, because we're talking about being restored. The restoration process is one of learning, then doing. And we see Jesus modeling this. For, for this first part of the ministry, he was modeling it. He was, he was the, he, teaching them, and they were learning. And then it comes a time when he says, now go do it. And some of us get kind of mixed on either side of it. Some of us love to do But we're not rooted in the word. And so we're not, it doesn't fuel us. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. Oh, that sounds pretty good. I think I'll do this. Others do tons of learning and never do anything. It's just learning after learning after learning after amassing knowledge. That verse in Corinthians where it says, love puffs up. It gets, oh, I know all this stuff. But love, actual service, edifies. There's an expanse of the kingdom through love. So the restoration process is one of learning, then doing. Here's what 1 John says in chapter 2. But if anyone obeys his word, this is Jesus' word, God's love is truly made complete in him. So to obey the word, you have to know the word, right? So whoever learns the word and then actually does what it says, it's made complete. God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. That's the goal, to be like Christ. So it might be service. It might just be, my job is to be Christ to my kids. That's the goal. On your small group questions on the back, for those of you who are in small groups and you go through those questions, one of the questions is, what would it look like if my life were replaced by Jesus? So here I am one day. Remember that 
Freaky Friday movie where the mom becomes the daughter and the daughter becomes the mom. Was that what that was? Freaky Friday? Yeah. Man, that was a stupid movie. Um, But that wasn't my point. Uh, Imagine if all of a sudden you're at work and Jesus says, hey, get out of there. And he looks just like you. Right. And he goes, I'm going to I'm your I'm going to take your spot. What would it look like if Jesus were at your job and you're sitting there watching and, oh, no, here comes the boss. Ah. And he says, hey, I want you to these numbers don't where I want you to fudge these numbers. What's Jesus going to do? Right. What would he do? What would he do when the kids are getting on Jesus's nerves? How's he going to respond? Right. What if Jesus were the soccer coach? They'd probably win every game. Doggone it. That's what we need. Jesus as our soccer coach, right? What would that look like? Whatever that would look like, that's your call. It's to be Christ in your situations, wherever you are. Here's a point down here. If we we love like Christ and we live like Christ, we're going to be treated like Christ. And that can be scary. And this is kind of the beginning of what we're going to see in the next six points. Sometimes it's really lame to be treated like Christ. And so the so we get in this kind of thing where we're like, well, I'll be I'll be Christ, but it will be kind of like my version. (laughs) And what Jesus is saying is a student is above isn't above his teacher. A slave isn't above his master. You don't take what I've taught you, what I've learned, what I've modeled, and then add your own little flavor to it like it's going to be something better. That's What he's saying is, listen, if I'm called Beelzebub, you're going to be called Beelzebub. You might be able to trick it out and be treated a little bit differently, but if you do, you're not like me. Okay, so that's the first point. The goal is to be like Christ. The problem is, though, the kingdom of the world. He goes on, he says, don't be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roof. So a lot of times the teachers in that day would be talking and then they'd whisper something to their student that only now the student knew and he kind of got a better understanding. And Jesus did that with the disciples. He'd pull them aside and he'd tell them about the parables and go, this is what that means. But now he's saying, Shout all that stuff out. What I said to you, it's all to be made public. It's basically what he's saying to them. The problem is we have this flesh. Paul said, oh, this flesh just bugs me. I, I, I want to do, I want to be just like Christ. But there's this other part of me that where I fail. And, and the, the parts that fail want to be like Christ and the parts that want to be like Christ fail. And so we have this kingdom of the world. He says, don't be afraid of them. Don't worry about them. Um, Fearing man kills evangelism. And and we fear in so many different ways. We we fear persecution. Now, we're not we're not living in a day and age where uh, we get beat up for Jesus. Sometimes we do. Sometimes kids at school pick on you or whatever. And sometimes at at, uh, work. You know, if you're not kind of telling the jokes they're telling or doing what they're doing or the, the company's going one way and it's not the way of Christ and you get you might get fired for that. There's that kind of persecution. But a lot of times it's just disrespect or in America, just difficulty. As Americans, we just don't like difficulty. I've mentioned this a bunch of times. I know for me, I, you know, our whole 
there's kind of a sense of, look, if we just do it the American way, we'll all be fine, we'll all prosper, and we'll all be great. It ain't working that way. You look in the news today, the market's all freaking out. Everybody's freaking out. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? The Lord says, don't be afraid of the kingdom of this world. This world means nothing to this kingdom. This kingdom is to impact this kingdom. That was for you. We do this thing. This is the kingdom of the world and this is the kingdom of heaven. So now you know all the hand motions when you're playing the kingdom of that. Okay. So <laughs> fearing man kills evangelism. Well, look, what, well, look what again in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, I want, you to, I want to broaden your mind on this verse a little bit. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we always take that as, that makes sense to us as, as, as Christians. Well, you can't like, you don't want to love everything of the world and all the things that the world has because then you, you don't know Christ. And, and that is a good test of whether or not you truly know God. It's a good test we should all do. Lord, how much do I really love the things of the world? Maybe we don't have the relationship we thought we had. But I want you to think in broader terms in the sense that if we if the kingdom of this world is having such an impact on us that we can't proclaim him, we can't be like Christ. We are we're stopping the love of the father from going out in our lives to the people around us. Fear brings a stranglehold on the love of the Father. Our love for the world, we don't want to be ridiculed or anything else. We like prestige, you know, we're prideful, whatever. We like all that stuff. And so we restrict the flow of the gospel. And then the love of the Father gets restricted because of how much we love the things of the world. You see what I'm saying there? Fearing man kills evangelism. And our love of uh, the world can restrict the love of the Father. I want to show you another thing that's, uh, verse that's in the message. I kind of like this version of it. Uh, don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work. The barren pursuits of darkness expose these things for the sham they are. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't be afraid of them. Con- whatever you hear from me, proclaim it. No, that doesn't work. You know, g- that relationship is not going to work for you. The way you're going about your life isn't going to work. We expose those things. We don't expose them in the sense of we're like, you, you know, how dare you live that life? Well, how else are they going to live? They're dead. We come and we say, listen, this is what the Lord shows in his word. And I, I'm going to boldly declare this to you, not as an act of judgment, but out of the love of the father. I don't want my love of the world to restrict the love of the father being poured out. Thirdly. The solution, the kingdom of heaven. So we've got the goal to be like Christ. The problem is the kingdom of the world and how that entices our flesh. And uh, the enemy uses that as well. But the solution is the kingdom of heaven. Now listen to this. So it's a strong verse right in here. Okay. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That is a tough, tough word. We don't like talking in terms like that anymore. But this is what I love about Jesus. He doesn't pull any punches. And we've watched. He gave the really cool part of the gospel. Go and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and cleanse the lepers. That is awesome. And now he's going, oh, and yeah, during this restoration process in your life. While you're doing that, while you're acting uh, in the in a move of the spirit, here's what you can expect. You're going to be ridiculed, but don't worry about that because this is an eternal perspective. I mean, have you ever seen the two kingdoms 
being described any better than that. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. An eternal perspective Jesus has. Why do you think he had so much compassion for the people? This is why. He totally understands what's going on on this kingdom level. And he's trying to get the disciples to understand it. And so what does he do? He says, this God can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then he goes right into this loving display of how our heavenly father sees us. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet, uh, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Jesus gets into a very intimate. He's trying to get them to know that God knows. And he uses a term uh, that is kind of a worldly thing. I mean, I can look out. You could probably look at me and get a pretty good idea for the hairs on my head. I'm doing my best to help God out because I don't want him counting all day. Right. So uh, those who are spiritually mature and realize that God has better things to do, you'll notice they're losing their hair. Uh, you'll, you'll see that. You know, and over time, as I'm spiritually mature, you'll say, oh, my goodness. Right. I'm looking out. There are many mature men out here. Very Keep up the good work. Right. But why, why does Jesus say that? He knows the hairs on our head. Because what he's saying is, I know you at the most intimate part of who you are. How you're created. He just said, they destroy that body. I know everything about that body. I know everything. I know the number of hairs on your head. 100,000. Oh, it just went down to, you know, 999 or whatever. That, wait, 99. <laughs> wow, math wasn't really my strong. So. 100,000 minus one. There we go. Right. He's saying, I know. And, and we have to understand this when we when we look at our lives, we want to be like Christ and we're and there's all this stuff on the in the world. Basically, what Jesus is saying is he knows. But you don't know what I'm going through in this. Relay. Yes, he does. He knows you don't know my financial situation. Yes, he does. He knows. He knows how much your family's annoying. He knows how much you, your boss is not just not fair. He knows. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows when a little tiny bird falls from the sky. And then we say, well, if he knows, why doesn't he do something about it? He is. He's refining us. He's allowing us to go through these things in order that we might grow closer to him through struggle. Okay, now this is the part of the gospel that... that I want us to understand there's the great part, the fluffy part of being restored in Christ, having this relationship with God, having peace that surpasses all comprehension and joy in the midst of struggle, all these great things. But there's another part that sometimes bad things happen to believers. And so how do we handle it? The point of this, number three, he knows If there's anything you remember, anything this week as you're driving and you're like, I'm going to be late for work. I'm going to lose my job. He knows. He knows. Yeah, but I I blew it again this week. I have this thing that I can't get. He knows. Okay. The solution is the kingdom of heaven. Get it up into here, into the light 
where God is. Fourth, the struggle, persecution. See, there's this, there's this sense of incompatibility with the kingdom of, of heaven and the kingdom of the world. Remember, I've said all the time, it's not that they just peacefully coexist, that we just kind of, you know, go from one border to the other. And isn't this great? Now I'm working. Now I'm going to be, they're actually at war with each other. And so there's this incompatibility. And what happens is persecution. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my father in heaven. So we get to another test of our relationship with Christ. How, how deep is my relationship with God? It's how ready we are to profess his name. I mean, even the act of salvation is whoever believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth. And so for some people, it's going to be different. I mean, God, God has called some people to kind of, you know, maybe, you know, my faith is a personal thing and they've got a strategy for winning someone to Christ. That only goes so far at some point, at some point, the gospel needs to be presented. At some point, you ha- it, it has to be the full deal. There's a heaven and there's a hell and that your sin keeps you from going to heaven. It's the way God designed it. And only through Jesus Christ can you have that relationship restored with God. The, the relationship that God designed from the very beginning. And so we can make it personal or whatever. And again, when I get to something like this, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. I, you know, that's just up to you and the Holy Spirit. But what I ask, what I would ask you to do is ask yourself this question. It's the question I asked myself this week. Am I ready enough to share the gospel? And, and what is it really that's stopping me? Because sometimes I'll say, well, I just, you know, you know, in today's day and age, you have to do it this way. Is that really why I'm not sharing the gospel? Or is it because I'm scared? I mean, let's just be honest. Can I be honest with myself? Yes, I didn't share the gospel because I'm scared. Great. Now the Lord has something to work with because we brought it into the light. There's no more whispering. There's no more. It's like, hey, I am scared to death to share my faith. Okay. And so when that happens, now the Lord through the body of Christ and through the word can begin to refine that part. But it's a test of how real is it really to me? You see what I'm saying? There's this persecution. And so it comes to the fact that we don't really want to be weird. But Jesus was weird. I mean, we don't want to be weird for weird's sake. Like, you know, because Jesus was persecuted, you know, I'm being persecuted. Well, no, you're an idiot. That's why you're being persecuted. Jesus wasn't an idiot. You know what I mean? You ever meet those people? It's like they're just so abrasive. And they're like, you know, we have to be persecuted for Christ. It's like, man, dude. It ain't because of Christ, bro. I hate to tell you. On the flip side, we have to ask ourselves, how ready are we to say, you know what the answer is to that question? Jesus. And people go, dude, what? That's weird. I know. I know it's weird. So we have to be ready. First, Second Timothy says it this way. Here's a trustworthy saying. <laughs> Paul's taught right to Timothy. I love that. He says that like four times in the scripture. If we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. Now, what, what is all that about? Here's what I want us to understand. I, I want kind of a strong word for us to question ourselves, but there's also a word of grace in this. 
So you look at your life and you go, you know what? I, I am scared to share my faith. The Lord isn't just sitting there going, oh, well, then fine. I, yeah, I got no use for you. Be gone. You know, when you're ready to profess me, I'll profess you. No, there's a sense of like, why? You're sold out to this world. Come on. There's so much more for you up here. And so he's saying to Timothy, he's not going to disown himself, but he's trying to get us to a level where we're actually making an impact for Christ in our lives around us. We're not just tossed here and there by, by the waves, by doubt. We're actually strong in our faith. This happened to Peter. Jesus said, this is the same warning that Jesus gave Peter. He said, Peter, let me tell you something, dude. I love your tenacity, but before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so Peter's like, no, you don't understand. You know, I'll never do that. And so Jesus is being led off and they start asking him questions. And he just can't get himself to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And finally, he says, for the third time, I tell you, he actually curses. Not, he doesn't like say a four letter word. He like says in the, you know, he essentially takes the Lord's name in vain. I'm telling you, I don't know him. And it says, Jesus turns and looks at him. I'll tell you what, Jesus didn't turn and look and go, I'm denying you when I get out of this. Right? Yeah? There was a sense of compassion, like, Peter, dude, I told you it was going to happen, and it happened. Ah, oh, come on. And so Jesus dies, and it says, it says, right after that, Peter went and he wept bitterly. You ever feel that? You'd, you deny Christ or you do something where you're just like, I was not a representative. We talked about being an ambassador. We've been given this ministry of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador goes and represents the country that, uh, that, that they belong to. I was just reading about this ambassador. Uh, I forget what country he was from, but he was in Germany. And so he's riding around his ambassador's you know, car or whatever. And, uh, and he sees this pine tree that he wants for Christmas. So he goes and he, he has his, him and his guys cut it down. And it turns out to be an endangered species. Is it species or species? Species? Species. You guys don't even know. What am I asking you for? It's, it's like the audience says, we don't know. Okay. Uh, right? It's, and it's endangered. So he's in trouble. So the, the, the German authorities are like, oh, you know, what do we do with this ambassador? And the, his country was very embarrassed. They issued a formal apology or whatever. This is what happens. When we go as ambassadors for Christ, the goal is to be like Christ. We sit in our cubicle and we go, I'm just like Christ. And they go, really? Well, how come you just did that? And you go, oh. He denied him three times. Well, what happens? Jesus restores him three times. I love that. We won't have time to get into it this morning, but... Just the way Jesus says, you love me, feed my sheep. Do you love me, feed my sheep? Do you love me, feed my sheep? Three times Peter denied and three times the Lord brings him back. There's that struggle, persecution. And the risk is the relationships around us. I mean, really, those are the things we get the most frightened of is risking relationships, having people not like us as much or, uh, you know, kind of think we're weird or we become the office joke. You know, I know people who who at their office. Oh, I, I know a dear man 
of Christ. Oh, he's such a strong man in Christ. And every single day he goes to work, they make fun of him. They're passing around pictures on the internet. They're passing around jokes or whatever. And they go to him, oh, you don't want to see that, do you? They try and trick him and send him stuff that, you know, uh, where, um, you know, like put pictures in stuff and all this kind of stuff. And he remains faithful through it all. Risking all those relationships. Yeah, when I go to work, I have no friends. When I go to school, I have no friends because I just can't relate to them. It's just that hard. That's the risk, relationships. And Jesus talks about that. Look at this big section of scripture here. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Again, another test for our faith, right? This is the third one now. Jesus is saying, here are some ways you can just keep looking at your life and going, how, how am I doing? Okay, are relationships more important to me than the kingdom? Now, in Luke, it talks about there will, in fact, come a time in the tribulation when when sons and daughters are essentially allowing their parents to be executed because their parents profess Christ and vice versa. And we see this in some other religions where if a if a if a son comes to Christ, the family disowns them. Right. Sometimes they get in prison and persecuted. I, I forgot my book. I was going to read a story out of this book called Jesus Freaks. And it's all these people who've been uh, martyred and tortured for, for Jesus. Um, but uh, but this, this happens. I mean, it, 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 and it's going to happen in the tribulation. But like if we look around today, it's not really happening to us. So how does this apply? I want to share just a couple examples. I'm not coming down on anybody in church. Again, I love just coming up with examples. It's your job to go before the Holy Spirit and say, hey, how does, how do, how does this work with me? Okay. But sometimes our kids, so maybe we're not, our kids aren't tossing us up, you know, and turning us in. But we get so focused on our kids, we don't have time for the kingdom. We drive them to dance class, to art class, to soccer practice, to this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that. They're in the playoff, blah, 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 blah. We don't have any time. We're not in a small group. We're not doing anything for service. We barely have time for church or we don't have time for church. I know a family. It's not in this church. Okay. So don't be looking around like, right? Because you don't even know. You don't even know that you've never even seen these people before. So don't be looking for them. They were deeply involved in a church, right? Deeply involved. And they're nephew became, um, they decided that their nephew was going to be the next Kobe Bryant or whatever. Steve Nash for that family. Um, and so, uh, you just got that good. Uh, so they, 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 they start going to the game, start going, it gets more and more escalated and they start playing like three times a week and it's every single Sunday and they became disconnected because it was all for this kid and some NBA thing that I guarantee you it ain't going to happen. <laughs> right? The chances are just very, very slim. And so they, they sacrificed the kingdom of God for this kid. 
Now, again, I'm not judging them or coming down on them. And maybe they could stand before the Lord and say, oh, no, maybe that's what the Lord has for them. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I got to look in my own life and be careful that my hobbies or my time out with the boys or my wife or my my, it it has to get to the point where nothing is going to block me from growing in Christ. Everything has to go be put on hold. And if you're a wife, it might mean going to your husband going, honey, we got to do something different. We're spending all our time working on the house and we don't we're not doing anything spiritually or husbands. You know what, baby, we got to we spend all our time doing this. And maybe that brings tension in the relationship. You see what I'm saying? This is what I want us this week to go look at. Look at our lives. Is there any relationship that's getting in the way of us? growing in Christ. I got to look at it with my own kids. Am I, am I too invested? I mean, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? Like, do I spend too much time with my kids? (laughs) Like that, that doesn't sound right. This is what the scripture is saying. Look at your relationships. Are they blocking you from a, a love relationship with Jesus? When you take a stand for Jesus, it impacts everything. Your marriage, your relationship with your kids, relationship with your boss. Number six, the cost is our lives. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a fourth test of our faith, of this restoration process that we're going through. And we're testing, okay, what does my relationship with Christ look like now? What does my relationship with my friends look like now? Is there anything in the world that's holding me back? This is part of restoration. We come to Christ. We're free of our sin. Praise God. He doesn't hold those things against us anymore. And now we operate in this growth process to be like Christ. You see what I'm saying? And so he says, anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. When I was 10 years old, actually, uh, it was moving on to, 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 I just become 11. We moved across country from New Jersey to California. Praise God. I am so happy to be in California. So I remember a ton of that trip. I remember some of the Spanish moss down in the south on the trees. I remember putting my foot in the uh, uh, Gulf of Mexico. I remember being, we, we, we kind of like went along the, the south. I remember going to this really fancy French restaurant and my parents made me dress up and I couldn't breathe. And then the restaurant had a fire and they're all yelling in French. I don't know what it was, probably fire. Yeah, I don't, but <clears throat> I I don't speak French, so I don't know what they were saying, Fiero or something. Uh, anyway, so all this stuff. Well, when Jesus was about that age, they had a memory. And what happened was there was this guy named Judas of Galilee, and he started a revolt against Rome because Rome had taken over Israel. and was still in Jesus' day uh, when he was an adult that way. And so this guy whipped up a bunch of people, and they decided they were going to revolt against Rome. And, of course, they lost. So what Rome did was they crucified those people and stuck the crosses on the roads in Galilee as basically a statement of you mess with us, we're going to mess with you. So if you were a kid and walking around Galilee about when Jesus was about 10, you would have seen those guys. Now, maybe the parents said, oh, no, we're not going to go out until they take those crosses down or whatever. But there were 2000 of them. They were everywhere. So when Jesus says. Unless you're willing to take up your cross and follow me. That 
is some scary stuff for those disciples because you have to remember they're thinking Jesus is the Messiah and is going to take this thing by by force, right? Judas right now is going, yes, this is what I signed up for. He says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Yeah, Uh, against your own family. Yay, take up your cross. Yay, let's go. But here's the way Paul describes it. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The test, can you take up your cross and follow God to the death? Well, what does that death really mean? Your flesh. Can I Now that I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, I've been cleansed of my sin and I operate in in the freedom of being forgiven. Now can I start laying aside those things? He in Hebrews, it says, I lay aside the sin and the things which so easily entangle me and I run with endurance the race set before me. I fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. I've been crucified with Christ. And he says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And this word life isn't living and breathing. There's a part of that, of the, okay, I'm still alive. Good. It's more like this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's the exact same Greek word. Here it's translated souls. There it's life. It's the same thing. You're the core of your identity. Is there anything in the core of your identity that needs to be crucified? We say, man, I don't know if I could be, if I could be actually beaten for Christ. So Jesus says, well, right now you don't have to, but there's going to be a sacrifice I'd like you to make, and it's... And as I look at me and you guys, we know what that is. That might be pride or gossip or gambling or who knows. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. But there's a sense that we take up our cross and we actually die for Christ. Fear, bitterness, resentment. Some of these things need to die so that what? We can go back to our original goal and be just like Christ. The last thing I want to share as the worship band uh, comes back up here. The result is changed lives. Now watch, watch this. This is very interesting. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42, it says, He who receives you receives me. This is, we're going back to exactly what Jesus is saying. And he who receives me, the one who sent me. In other words, the heavenly father. Anyone who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. Anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, he's talking about his disciples because he's my disciple. I tell you the truth. He will certainly not lose his reward. Listen to me, church. This is the impact we are to have on the world around us. That as they treat us, they treat Christ. And the Lord sees that and begins to uh, make a difference in their lives. As you manifest, which is essentially the fancy word for saying, as the Holy Spirit is demonstrated in your life, you are literally having an impact on other people. On their destiny, their eternal destiny. 
That is an unbelievable. I mean, think about that. That is scary and exciting. And what a purpose in life that the way we live would actually impact somebody's eternal, uh, eternal salvation. That as they treat us, they would actually be treating Christ. And they sense that unity in the spirit. And even as an unbeliever, even though they're dead in their sins, the spirit begins to move. And they go, you know, something's different. And they sense it. They can't describe it. They don't know what it is. We are in love. We are in love. We are in love.